Well, good morning, friends. Good Friday morning, and I didn't think to plan the year, but let me be able to tell you, 1986. Good Friday morning, 1986, maybe about 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. I'm working as a brand new police officer in Flemington, and uh, I'd only been on the job for two or three weeks, and we're working night shift, and, um, and we, earlier in the night, we've been, if you know in Flemington, there's a, there's a number of areas there that are high-rise commission housing, and, um, and some of those are in, in Kensington, Derby Street, Kensington, and, and so we'd been there earlier in the night, and when we drove up in the divisional van, I was the observer, someone else was driving, and we drove up, and, and we saw this fire out the front of the flats, you know, on this bit of sort of lawn there, and there was a whole lot of young guys hanging around, you know, and, um, and then they, and the fire brigade was pulling up at the same time as we were. We just happened to be there. We hadn't gotten called there. We just happened to be there. The fire brigade had obviously been called there, and as the fire brigade pulled up, and then we were sort of a bit behind, oh, what's going on? And there's all these young guys, and they just scattered. Like they just ran, you know, a thousand miles an hour, and they're just gone, you know, and they just started this fire with all this rubbish and everything on the lawns, you know, and it was it was it was a sizable fire. So anyway, so then we sort of got out and couldn't do much, and the fire brigade put the fire out and and did all that, and then we took off, and that was early, on, that was maybe two o'clock in the morning or something, and then it was four thirty, four forty-five, and we were just driving, you know, we we're just patrolling around, looking, seeing what was going on in the area, and and we came around the corner. And the fire was going again, and those young guys were still there. But they didn't see us. And so we sort of just drove up, and then the minute they looked up and saw us, then they scattered again. Now just remember, like, so I'm 19-year-old I'm Jeff, you know, and I'm just, just out of the police academy, and I'm just learning this job, you know, and, and it's a freezing cold night, it's a good Friday morning. And next thing I know, I'm just out of the van and I'm running like 100 miles an hour after one of these guys and I'm just running and we're running and running and running further away, away from the flats, into the night, into the dark. And all of a sudden while I was running, I thought, man, what, 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 what's he, I don't know what he's done. What am I running after him for? Like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. Because like it's, I didn't know, like they, they, they did turn out. I mean, I found out later on there's this little, because it's not, arson they're not like burning a building down or something they're just lighting a little like a campfire on the lawn you know and burning rubbish and so there is actually a little offense don't don't go doing that because it's under the summary offenses act there's a little offense of lighting a fire in a public place but I didn't know that and as I'm running after this guy and gaining on him and catching him <laughs> I was completely out of breath and all I could do was hang on to him and uh, march him back to the divisional van and just think, man, I hope I've done the right thing. <laughs> you know, when you, you sometimes don't quite know why you're doing what you're doing, do you? Hey? Well, what, are you, what are you here for? Well, what do you live for? What do you die for? Do you know? Here's someone who knew what he lived for. 
ancient Daniel. Look at this. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, follow along in your Bible if you've got it, Daniel chapter 1. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, so you get what's happened, the king of a, of a, of a different power has come into the country and it besieged Judah, in particular Jerusalem, the city, the capital city. He's looted the city and then it says when he returned to Babylon, he took with him some of the sacred objects from the temple of God and placed them in the treasure house of his God in the land of Babylonia. Hey, in the next few weeks while we're doing some working through Daniel, just notice God with big G and God with little g. There's lots of it. This is uh, 605 BC, it's just after war, the Battle of Carchemish, and it was a battle uh, where, where Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army had gone in and virtually wiped out the Egyptian army. Babylonia was the new world power. Nebuchadnezzar started exercising this newfound power because he's now, he's the king of the new world power. And he's not satisfied with his control of leading cities like Jerusalem. But he also wanted young men. And he did want men. We can't say he wanted men and women. He, in this culture and society, he wanted men. Young men who he could train as government workers. Um, and so it's likely that in each city he went with his army to besiege, he took away some of the finest young men in that city. Took them to Babylon, that's present day 100 kilometres about south of Baghdad, Iraq. And it was right by the river Euphrates. Get this, the wall surrounding the city of Babylon was 17 kilometers long and 20 meters thick. 20 meters. And every 20 meters along the wall, they had watchtowers. And altogether in that city, the city of little g-gods, they had 43 temples. The city's population was about half a million people. Follow on with me, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. So you see what happened. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar loot and destroy and besiege the city of Jerusalem, but he took the cream of the crop in their young men. Try and identify like with how these young guys feel. They're, they're literally taken captive. They are marched away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And what have they got to look forward to? They're away from their, their own country, their own city. They're away from their homes and their families. And they're in a strange, alien city. I didn't... I had no idea on the t at the time what I was putting my parents through when I left home. I just didn't have any, any clue at all compared to what I've now when, compared to what I experience now when my kids go through that. And I remember the day I left, we lived 
near Maryborough, central Victoria. I remember the day that I left and my whole family, my brother came home from Melbourne, so the whole family were together. We had lunch and then they dropped me at the train station. And I'm catching the bus to Castlemaine Station, then the train to Melbourne, and the next morning I'm joining the Royal Australian Navy. And I've been looking forward to this for years, like I couldn't wait for it, you know, I was counting, and then those last few weeks I was counting in the days, and, and so I was just on cloud nine. I, I don't remember seeing my dad cry often, but when I went round the car and sort of shook everyone's hand, because it was raining so they didn't get out, and I saw dad's crying. You see, when you leave home, and you don't just leave home, but you go off into some alien place, imagine how these guys feel. Ashpenaz, who's got to select these young men, he's given a set of criteria to follow. Look at this, it's in verse 4. Uh, the king said to him, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. So they're teenagers, they're probably in their mid-teens. I just wonder, have we got any of the, anyone that fits the bill here today? I'm just looking around. Any, I don't think we've got any 13 to 15 here. Is there any good-looking young men here? Over here? Did someone? Oh. Oh, okay. He's, yeah, he's good. Well, there's a good-looking young guy up there. There's a couple over here. Up the back? I wasn't looking your way, Josh. Yeah. You're good looking, it's just that you're a bit older. Good looking young men. So let's identify with these guys. Identify with the good looking young men. He said, make sure they're well versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good sense, and they have the poise to, needed to serve in the royal palace. You know what that means? They're of good character. Like in today's age, they've got a working with children's check or a police check. All right? That's what it means. And then they're going to do the internship program. Uh, we've got some interns here at church. It's in the second part of verse 4. He said, teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. Indoctrinate them, that means, with Babylonian philosophy, religion, magic, astrology, science, and medicine. And it's a three-year program. It's not even in their native Hebrew language. It's in the language of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar's plan here, listening, it was simple. He knew that these young Hebrews, they came from a place, and, and, and Jerusalem, Judah, had only recently experienced great revival, great spiritual revival. He knew that these young men, every chance they're going to love God, and he knew that especially Daniel did love God. And he wanted these young men, cream of the crop, yes, but he wanted them to reject God and in his place, reject God with a big G, in his place, the gods with a little g. Serve the gods of Babylonia and adopt the nation's pagan lifestyle. I know that sounds explicit and it's clear what he wanted to do. It does, doesn't it? Straightforward. But I wonder if you're seeing any similarities when it comes to you today no you're not you're not hold on just think about it right now I guarantee and I shouldn't just look straight here should I? I should look I guarantee you don't have to put up your hand I bet you 
there's someone in the auditorium at the moment on social media. I'll bet. Someone's looking at Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat right now, right this moment, and, and, they, and, they, and they think everyone's looking at us, so they quickly put their phone away. And have you ever had the experience, I've had this, you know, um, like you, you, I go on Facebook and there's some great article there about, you know, like, I'm just trying to think. Like the one, one there was like a great article about, I don't read many of them, hardly ever, ever do, but this day it was something about, you know, I've forgotten what they're called, you know, like the, the food blender, you put all the fruit in and it makes it, what's that called again? Hey, bullet, Okay. So you've, you click on a story of that. Have you then noticed what, what's going to happen on your feed? And you'll start getting stories like that, three or four of them every time you go on Facebook. Scary. See, you see any, pre, any sort of consistency with today? Friends, we live at breakneck speed. We are noisy. We're in a seriously overstimulated society. I heard um, author and speaker I really respect, Peter Scazzaro, recently just telling us that, you know, in our society now, we are, listen to this, we are individual consumers who want pleasure now. Everything's just a click away. And this very moment, even if you don't recognize it, you've got demands and expectations all over you. And many, or most of them, listen carefully, are geared towards you rejecting God, big G. No, no, that's a, that's a scandal, Jeff. They are. Look at this. The king assigned these Hebrew teenagers a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchens. By the way, sign me up for that program. Like, I'll take that ration any day. Probably though, most of the meat dishes on this menu were actually from animals who'd been sacrificed to idols, to the gods of Babylon. No doubt the wine had also been intricately involved with those gods, small g. You see, even the food and the drink that these Hebrews were going to be served, it's going to ask them to compromise. Hey, did you ever, did you ever feel pressured to compromise? Did you? And as if all that wasn't enough, these Hebrew youths now, look at this, they're, they're now given Babylonian names. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these guys like fully brainwashed and immersed in Babylonian culture. Determined to change them. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief official renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called, it's not a Bendigo like we used to say, Bendigo, it's a Bendigo. 
You know all those names? Babylonian gods. Everything stacked up against these guys. And maybe you don't need me to tell you, but if you do, listen carefully. It is the same today. Everything is stacked against you if you desire to live in the way that God actually designed you to live. Sex, sexuality, gender. You know, the Bible is as clear as can be on this. God made males, God made females, he made them both with beautiful, life-giving, eternal purposes. Nothing could be higher than his purposes for those genders. And he created sexual relations to be between one man and one woman in the context of marriage and what we call a lifelong exclusive covenant of marriage. Now, what I've just described here is the way that God set it up. Like He gets to call, doesn't he? I mean, it's him that made it, and that's the way it's clear. Now, you stack that up against where we're up to today, friends. And all the more so, I don't know if you know, in Victoria here, last Thursday night, the Labor government's bill went through, it passed the Upper House of Parliament, and that means it will now be law, outlawing any form of perceived gender conversion therapy. So do you know that means that if you were to come to me as a pastor or go to one of your friends and say, Jeff, um, I'm struggling a bit. I've got some temptations toward homosexuality. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Do you know that that will now be against the law? a criminal offence. I will not be allowed to do that. By law, the only thing I'll be able to do is to say, well, that's good that you're struggling with that. Let me pray for you and ask that God would affirm those desires. That's the only thing I'm allowed to do by law. You see the difference? God's way, our way? Language? Even in the church, you know, like, because we, 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 just, we just live like this, especially in Australia. Sarcasm, rude jokes, criticism, swearing, gossip, backstabbing. And you know the, the way we classically do this? Someone says something and, and they don't even necessarily mean something rude or immoral or sexual or, or, or put down by it, but we turn it into that. And gossip, like gossip, you know, I mean, that... The, the way the Bible describes that, like, it's totally wrong, right? And yet, don't you think, like, it's a sin that walks around with its head held high. You can get away with gossiping, no problems. All you've got to do is say, listen, don't tell anyone, but I think if we just tell, if I just tell you about what she told me, don't, don't tell anyone else, I'm not supposed to tell them, but don't tell anyone else and we'll just pray for her. It's gossip, <laughs> You, you, you get what I mean, don't you? Consumerism, you, that, that you're going to work to earn, that you're going to acquire pleasure and you're going to do it quickly. And, 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 you, and what your world tells you is that you will shun suffering. Suffering's bad. 
As soon as you're suffering, you've got to get out of that real quick. You've got to pay your way out of it. You've got to buy your way out of it. You've got to do your, because suffering's bad. The more you learn of God, the more you see. And quite frankly, it sits you on your backside as you see it. That, that this, this stuff that we often call Christianity, I don't know quite what it is. <laughs> but it's not, it's not Christianity. It's different to God. God's way and our way. Now, there is hope. Because you're sitting there thinking, oh, I've got no chance. Well, there's hope. Come look with me, come on. And you're just going to see for a couple of minutes how this young Hebrew teenager on the brink of his Royal Babylonian internship program, what he did. Here's how. Some of the very four best words in the Bible. Something that any single one of us here this morning can do. All right? I promise you, we can. Look at this. But Daniel, read these words with me out loud. Made up his mind. You want to do it again? Made up his mind. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. You know what Daniel felt like, don't you? Undoubtedly, many of those young cadets who'd been kidnapped alongside Daniel considered a compromise. I mean, they were. After all, there's worse things than living in the centre of world commerce and culture and power, isn't there? Let alone being handpicked by the king for a lifetime of royal service. That's, that's enamouring. So how could you get ahead? If you've, been, if you've been picked for that, how are you going to get ahead in that world? Well, you, you do what everyone else does. And like I, for one, I don't mind if that involves eating the king's food and wine... Fact is simple, though. Trust me, without going into all the details, Daniel, listen, Daniel could not have lived on that diet and remained obedient to God. And the fact is just as simple for you, my friend. It really is. You can't compromise even one little bit without, comprom- without violating God's law and plan and purpose for your life. And that sounds all legalistic and stiff and starchy, but you know what? Every bit of compromise you willingly say yes to sets you back in your healing, in your wholeness, and in you reaching your God-given destiny. And and trust me, your God-given destiny is a whole lot better than you ever imagined. You see, compromise is not just this naughty stuff. damaging to us it's not good for us and here's a here's a radical reckless young man Daniel who loved God and wanted desperately to please him no matter what it's going to cost now he's radical and that that doesn't mean that that like he, he doesn't care what anyone thinks you know you know someone like that don't you you know like kind of don't give a rip Let's do what I want to do. Well, that's, just, that's more like arrogance. Reckless, though, he's not dictated to by what other people think. Sorry, that's, I just mixed up my word. Radical. Reckless. He, it's not like 
He, he couldn't care less what the consequences are for his actions. But he's not dictated to by the consequences for his actions. Radical, reckless. The King James Version uses these words. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart. You see, no matter what, Daniel was going to be completely loyal to his God, no matter where he lived, no matter who objected. It might cost him, like it might be deep humiliation. It may mean jail and it could mean his life. What areas, my friend, what areas are you compromising in? It's your anger, your jealousy, your lies, your gossip, your loose lips. And you can dress it up and it, it doesn't have to look out of place. You know why? Because it's all normal. This is the way our world lives. You've got your obsession, your consumerism, your individualism, your ambition. What have you purposed in your heart? Have you, have you made up your mind to be radically and recklessly obedient to God, even if it paints you as a dinosaur or, it, or just a plain loser? Or are you more concerned with the accolades and the acceptance of those around you? Put it simply, is pleasing God more important to you than pleasing your friends or your family or whoever it is? Huh. Just, just think for a sec, because we'll rip through the rest of the story now, but just think for a sec. Can you imagine what would have happened if Daniel had have merely drifted into Babylon with a vague set of principles and then sort of started thinking about this stuff as it went along? Hmm. Anyway, once he made that decision, you know, heaven and earth couldn't move it, then he had to work out a way to act in it. Because I'm sure you agree, there's nothing worse, is there, than an arrogant, you know, an arrogant or a judgmental Christian. I bet you know one. I hope you're not one. You know the sort of person who just looks down their religious, pious nose at everyone else? Well, Daniel wasn't like that. Look at this, tact, diplomacy, not to weaken his convictions, but to strengthen his cause. Look at this. He asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. And here's where the, here's where the Daniel diet got started, friends. Yeah? You heard of the Daniel diet, haven't you? All right. He acted out of conviction, but he's got respect for authority. You see that? Even an ungodly authority. But he doesn't have instant success because now God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel, but he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. My Lord, the king has ordered that you eat this food and wine, he said, and if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, then I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my duties. But Daniel didn't stop there. He went to the guard, like the guard who'd been placed a bit lower down the scale in charge of him and his three friends. And still all the while, he's quiet and he's gentle and he's wise and he's diplomatic and he's courteous. Look at this. He talked it over with the attendant who'd been appointed by the chief official to look after him and his friends. Test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. And then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our Daniel diet. And the guard agreed. Please, 
please, don't be one of those annoying, embarrassing Christians who just make the rest of us look bad. Don't, don't do that. Like, how would your parents describe you to me if I asked them? Your teachers? Your boss? Strict vegetarian diet. Now I go, I know we've got vegetarians here, but... And God bless you, but not me. I can't live like that. Anyway, these guys do. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who'd been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the rich foods and wines. You see, God actually rewarded these boys. And do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they did what they knew to be right. They stayed on their God-honoring diet. They persevered with their studies. Look what happened. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and the science of the time. And God gave Daniel special ability in understanding the meanings of visions and dreams. You'll see that later in the book. When the three-year training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar for their graduation and their valedictory dinner. And the king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as these four, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. And in all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be 10 times better than that of all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. They topped their class. So don't get fooled by the way. It is quite possible for Jesus' followers to be really good at what they do. So I wanted to ask you one more time, are you purposed in your heart? Have you made your mind up to obey God no matter what? And are you doing your best, putting in a top dollar effort? And don't miss it either because these four guys actually did this together. Like we need each other to do this. Daniel, remain there, it says... In verse 21, until the first year of King Cyrus's reign. That's 539 BC. That means that Daniel stayed in Babylon for about 66 years. Well into his life, well into his late 70s, even his 80s. Have you got convictions? Because if you don't make up your mind ahead of time as to what your stands are going to be, everyone else is going to do it for you. This is one thing, um, one thing that I've learned really strongly. We, we need to think ahead. So look at this, just to finish with, a couple of little suggestions for you. Firstly, make up your mind. Set convictions and resolutions. Um, I often recommend to people that you write them down. Um, one thing that I often say to young people who are starting out in relationships, boyfriends and girlfriends, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you don't set convictions and resolutions ahead of time about how far you will go physically in your relationship, I can pretty much guarantee you that if you leave it to sort itself out as it happens, 
you'll go further than you wanted to go. It's just one example. So do it early. Set your convictions early. Don't wait till you're in the fire. And friends, root them in God's word. Let God be the standard. Not, not what you think is reasonable and not what's happening around you. But hey God, what, what's your standard on this? Look in Proverbs. A prudent person foresees danger, looks ahead and takes precautions. Allah makes convictions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Because don't get me wrong, like when, when we do this, it's, it's, it's not all about the naughties, friends. It's about the damage and the wounds and the scars that you'll inflict upon yourself and in your own life that didn't need to be inflicted. Yeah? And the second one is this, use wisdom and tact and diplomacy. Please don't be one of those judgmental Christians, please. And it's a fallacy, by the way, too, to think that you, that you have to be frosty about your convictions, you know? So you have to be, like, angry when you're telling people that you're not going to do that or you're not going to do this. And, and thereby being perceived as self-righteous and proud and archaic and bigoted and judgmental. You don't have to do that. Look at the way these guys did it. And in Proverbs, again, discretion is a life-giving fountain to those who possess it, but discipline's wasted on fools. From a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Kind words are like honey. Sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. Hey, you don't have a plan? You haven't got a plan? A good plan? That, that obedience to God is what matters and, and is, what going to do, is what's going to define your life. You're going to need one. Solid, convicted, purpose plan. If you're going to stand up, my friend, if you're going to stand up, then you will need that plan. Let me, let me just remind you of a guy who had a plan. Jesus. Think of this, you know, the way Philippians, Paul describes this in the book of Philippians, and he said, Jesus, um, though he was in very nature God, so it says, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. You imagine Jesus is sitting in, in the comfort and the beauty and the lurks and the perks of heaven. He's God. It's perfect. But he has a plan. It's his father's plan. And look at this. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form Christmas morning. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Died. Died. And the reason he died is because he loves you and me. He died for us. Every single one of us has got a nature that makes all this, this, you know, living in obedience to God at whatever the cost. That's completely foreign to us. That doesn't come naturally to us. None of us, none of us, not one of us are inclined to do that. And yet 
what Jesus does in dying a criminal's death on the cross is to take the punishment for that nature that's inside each one of us and to invite us into relationship with God. What a beautiful thing. I'm going to remember that this morning. We have communion. And if you remember with communion or if you're here for the first time, let me just tell you this is... This is uh, something that Jesus himself thought up and introduced to us. And what he said is just use, um, use bread as a symbol of my body, he said, which is about to be in a few hours' time when he was saying it, my body's about to be broken for you. And then use the, the juice or the wine, use that as a symbol of my blood. And my blood's going to actually be spilt for you and you know how I talked about how Jesus dies and he removes the, the, the penalty for sin in our lives if we choose to follow him um, it says you know the Bible says that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin so Jesus had to die for us so communion is simply saying thank you to him for that um, it may take us a few minutes longer this morning just because we're going to ask you to come, there's four tables, two at the front, two at the back, okay? We'll just work together and we'll cooperate with each other and we'll just be patient. We just need to make sure, you know, if you're in a household, you can be together, but if not, just keep um, one and a half metres from the, the person in front of you. Um, and, and instead of you taking the communion when you arrive, which is what we have always done before, um, there are going to be some people who are here and they will actually serve you, okay? So they'll give it to you. Is that okay? So you're welcome to participate in this. You do not have to. If you're here today and you don't want to, you don't have to, just, just stay seated, you know. If you would like to participate in it, you're welcome to. We're a family together here today and we're going to do that. And, and once, we've, once we've begun doing that and, and some of the people have moved, then we'll be beginning to worship again together and sing together to finish our time. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys and um, God bless you.